This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, Ambassador David Friedman, I have to say it's a pleasure to have you in my home, but this will not feel as, uh, say, warm as warm and fuzzy as last time we did this in Jerusalem just about six or seven months ago, um, in light of everything that's going on in Israel. So I guess first, what are you doing in Florida right now? Why don't we start there and then we'll talk about everything else. Well, I, uh, I, I just came for a few weeks to see my family down here. Uh, I had been in uh, Israel when the war started uh, with uh, some other family members with some grandchildren. Um, I had to explain to uh, so my 12-year-old granddaughter, my oldest grandchild, uh, as we, you know, rushed her into the safe room, um, you know, that, that, that there was a whole world out there, a whole ugly world out there that, you know, we hope our children never get to know, you know, and she would ask me, uh, you know, why, uh, why are there people that want to kill us uh, so indiscriminately? I mean, she didn't use that word, but why are they shooting rockets at us? They never met us. They don't know us. Why do they hate us so much that they want to kill us? Yeah, that was a hard conversation to have, you know, so that's, that's where I was, and you know, after a few weeks of that, then I thought I, uh, I thought I could be helpful here, doing some, some, some media and some advocacy. So I came to uh, the states for a few weeks. So just to be clear, because a few things are changing on the ground as we're speaking right now, it sounds like there might be a prisoner swap, and some of the hostages might be released. We're, we're airing this on Wednesday, or we're we're taping this Wednesday before Thanksgiving. We're airing this Sunday after. What would you say the state of the country is at the moment? I mean, there's still a full-scale war going in every inch yeah. to south, east, to west. Look, uh, the, 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 the country was in shock for a couple of days, but then that, you know, that turned to anger, and that very quickly turned to determination. And they are determined to win this war and to eradicate Hamas. And, and that's the real objective. Now, you overlay on that um, the, the human tragedy of 240 hostages, you know, whose families are enduring the type of trauma and torture that none of us should ever know. And of course, the ones who are held in captivity are probably enduring the same. So uh, Israel has these two goals that are not entirely consistent with each other, right? Yeah. Win the war, eradicate Hamas, but do it in a way where you can extract as many hostages as possible. So yeah, we don't know what the deal is yet. By the time this airs, we probably will know what it is, whether that deal is kept, whether it's you know, what, what, what happens after that, you know, it's, it's a dynamic, fluid situation. Israel has done this before, having to trade prisoners for hostages, sometimes literally to just get remains back of yeah. Israelis. Well, never like this, though. Never like but, this. But nothing like this, of yeah. course. But how did they even go in and negotiate with people that did this in the first place? It's not like, you know, I think a lot of people are struggling, a lot of Westerners that don't really understand what's going on in Israel, struggle to understand the disproportion, they always talk about disproportionate, but the disproportion realities between the two parties here. Yeah. Well, look, back in 2006, after the um, Lebanon war, they negotiated for, for two, um, two soldiers, and they didn't know whether the soldiers were alive or dead, and we all waited for the exchange, and uh, everybody's heart sank as we saw two bodies 
to body bags being brought over the border. Um, that's how that's how you know kind of despicable and untrustworthy these uh, negotiations are. So um, yeah, th there'll be I'm sure some unpleasant surprises here. But remember, you know, uh, one soldier, Gilad Shalit, was traded for almost 5,000 Hamas terrorists, many of whom then returned to commit acts of, of terror and murder. So that was one. Now you're talking about um, 240 women, children, elderly people, Holocaust survivors, um, and, and they're trickling them out. You know, they're going to do maybe, I'm hearing, 10 a day for five days. Um, it's 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 just the whole thing is barbaric and I you know but one thing about Israel that I don't think people understand it's a country of Jewish mothers you know it, it, the, the the desire to see people uh, saved the 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 discomfort that every Israeli has going to sleep at night knowing that somebody's kids are unaccounted for and they're being held in tunnels it's unbearable so uh, as tough as they are and they're incredibly tough and strong and great fighters there are also a lot of Jewish mothers who just want their kids back. And this, this balance, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really a tough decision to make for the leaders of the country to make that decision. Is that the weird thing that's going on here, that it's kind of baked into the code that the Jews will survive this, that these horrible things happen? That's what every holiday and yeah. most of the holidays are about, and a bunch of us are killed. Mm -hmm. And then here we are, and let's acknowledge what happened, and, and let's eat and continue. Yeah. And, and that sort of feels like what's going to happen here, too. Look, um, I have no doubt Israel is going to survive. Um, you know, one of the important perspectives here is think about, um, you know, 1,200 um, people were slaughtered on, on the uh, 7th of October. So to compare that, for example, to the Holocaust, right, that event in, in Holocaust terms happened every day for four years. Picture October 7th every single day for four years, and that's the Holocaust. And we survived the Holocaust, right? So... We're going to survive this, um, but we're not, we're not, you know, we're not our parents or our grandparents, you know. I mean, I'm not as tough as my grandparents were. I mean, I didn't grow up that way. I grew up in a very comfortable life, as you probably did and everybody else we know, right? <laughs> well, we both grew up in Long Island about three, three miles away right. from each other. It was okay. We're, yeah. we're, not cut out. we're not cut out for this. We're not cut out to be, you know, t ripped away from our parents and stuck in a, in, a, in a hole in the ground. I mean, that's not what our gen—thank God it's not who we are. Um, so now, you know, this, this, this episode is, uh, is causing all of us to think about what we're made of and how strong we are and how we're going to survive. We will survive, but um, it's causing everybody to really rethink all their assumptions. How do you feel, I mean, as the former U.S. ambassador to Israel in a time of peace, a time of really extraordinary peace and peace deals, and there were seemingly other peace deals that were about to be signed? It sounds like Saudi Arabia might have been signed the yeah. following week. I mean, the, the contrast of what you saw there and what you helped make happen there versus where we're at now has just got to be mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. It's, it's frustrating. I, I'll tell you, you know, my wife said to me the other day, aren't you glad you're not there now? And I said, no, actually, I'm really frustrated that I'm not there now. I would love to be there now because um, uh, while I, I, I can't tell you I, I'd achieve a better outcome, it's, it's an unprovable, at least in my mind, uh, I know how I would deal with these with these barbarians, and it'll be very different because I dealt with them before. We had these we had these skirmishes before. It wasn't anything like this. But when I was in office, 2019, Hamas, you know, shot rockets and uh, attempted at least to kidnap some soldiers. Um, we delivered very different messages at, at, at all times 
to the highest you know levels through intermediaries, intermediaries sometimes directly. You know, you harm one hair on an American, you know, we'll we'll wipe you out. Mm -hmm. You you harm one hair on an Israeli, the Israelis will wipe you out with our enthusiastic support. Mm -hmm. You know, we we didn't leave any room for ambiguity. We didn't talk about you know a two state solution. We didn't talk about you know Palestinian dignity. We we just didn't touch that stuff. We just said, we're not interested. We'll talk about that when things are quiet. Right now, um, you, you end this, or we will you know, uh, unleash the full wrath of both the American or Israeli government, whatever is applicable. And um, I, I mean, I'd love to be delivering that message right now. Unfortunately, it's, it's, it's meaningless from somebody who's no longer in office. Well, so what do you think happened in terms of messaging that clearly Hamas or the guys running it in Qatar or the Iranians got a different message, either tacitly or, or subtly? Yeah that they would be able to get away with something like this? Um, I mean, look, it began, it, it began with Afghanistan. It, it continued through, through uh, Russia and Ukraine. It's, it's a function of a president who just, you know, spews uh, weakness. I mean, you know, just doesn't have the, the, the acuity or, the, uh, or, or the, the vigor to really portray America as a strong country. Um, we gave $6 billion to Iran. We're about to give another $10 billion to Iran. We lifted all the sanctions on Iran that we had in place. You know, Iran, when we left office, was selling about a billion dollars worth of oil, you know, uh, in a couple of years. Now they're up to 60 or $70 billion a year. We made Iran a very rich country. They were broke when we left. They were broke. And on top of that, we had, you know, assassinated their, their head the head of the snake, if you will, the head sponsor, the head architect of all the terror attacks. Mm -hmm. And he owned around it in response, nothing, because they were afraid of us. So losing that deterrence is really the, the I think, the single event that has caused all these problems to happen. That, uh, you know, we spend seven, eight hundred, you know, billion dollars a year on our military. If no one thinks we're going to use it, if no one thinks that we don't know how to use it, it's a waste of money. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Is that just the reality of the Middle East, that, that it really just boils down to that more than anything else? You know, you can just say nice things. It's just not how it works over there. Yeah, look, in, 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 in the Arab dialect, you know, when people say it doesn't matter, uh, they have a phrase in Arabic, it translates to, it's just words on paper. You know, words on paper don't mean anything. Words don't mean anything. It's just they, 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 they gauge you the way they gauge each other, which is, is this guy going to deliver the kind of strength that we have to take seriously. And um, Trump, for whatever, whatever people thought about Trump, you know, there were no new wars. Uh, he was unpredictable, which is a, an asset, you know, in the Middle East. And occasionally, he acted with extraordinary determination and force. And it kept, at least that part of the world, uh, kept it extremely safe. What do you think Israel could have done differently? I mean, so there there's, hasn't been an Israeli or a Jew living in Gaza since 2005. Yeah. They. Egypt also has a border with that, with, uh, with Gaza, obviously. And it was part of Egypt before 1967. I mean, what could they have possibly done differently? They said, take it. We want nothing to do with this place. Yeah, they, and they really don't want it, and they don't want it back either. Um, 
but it's sort of like you know the dog that catches the car. I mean, you don't you may not want it, but it wants you. You can try to forget yeah. Gaza, but yeah. Gaza's not going to forget you. And um, I think there was a lot of wishful thinking. Look, Israel during this period, you know, from two thousand and seven when Hamas took over, well, well, Hamas is 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 radicalizing the Gaza Strip. Israel's becoming, you know, a first world economy. You know, their GDP per capita is is going up to a top ten in the world. They're they're building things that nobody ever thought possible. And they don't want to think about, you know, the old days. You know, they want to get it out of their minds. And I think uh, the politicians, you know, you know, thought that they, that way as well. So every now and then, every three or four years, Gaza would erupt. They'd shoot a bunch of rockets into Israel, you know, extraordinarily, uh, you know, uh, you know, a war crime of, you know, un undoubtable and, and significant proportions. It's funny, you can kind of like brush that away, but no other country on earth would tolerate two rockets shot in. But, but, in, but from but, that perspective, it's just like, ah, yeah, every couple so of So Israel was like, how do we make this go away? It's not like, how do we end this for the next 20 years? It's how do we make it go away? So they'd shoot back and there would be some, you know, back and forth. And then Israel would make an announcement that, you know, we have, you know, we have caused Hamas to pay a huge price, you know, for their, their, their malign activities. And then Qatar would come in with like a suitcase full of cash, 15 million bucks. They'd spread it, by, with, with Israel's permission, spread it around, kind of assuage all the hard feelings. And then Israel would go back to creating the most innovative technology in the world and becoming the startup nation. And, you know, you, you, know, what, you know what Tel Aviv looks like, you know, mm -hmm. with, you know, the most expensive city in the world to live in. And, uh, and then a few years later, Hamas will come back stronger. Now, they're getting stronger and stronger and stronger through this period, notwithstanding, until we had October 7th. And now you can no longer ignore it. And the only thing Israel could have done different would have been to have tried to obliterate Hamas when it was much weaker than it is today. Um, the world would have looked at them like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? Um, in retrospect, it would have been better for everybody, including the Palestinians, had Israel gone in uh, 10 years ago than now. What, what does the end of this thing look like? Look, I think, I think it's a great question. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you what it doesn't look like, because you know, there have been all these suggestions that you know, Biden and, and Blinken have said, look, get rid of Hamas and then put in the Palestinian Authority and we'll have a two-state solution. It, it, that has zero possibility yeah. of being successful for, for two reasons. Number one, the Palestinian Authority uh, is, 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 is not that much better than Hamas. Mm -hmm. They're incredibly corrupt. They pay terrorists to kill Jews. They have a pension system where the more Jews you kill, the higher the pension you get. So they're no good. Yeah. But also the Palestinians... We don't have that plan here, do we? We have a different a different pension plan. Like, <laughs> totally, totally I, I hope you don't have that yeah, plan yeah, here. No, yeah. no, it's a different yeah, thing. Yeah, I'll have to yeah. check with the I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume... <laughs> Assume you're not having, you don't have yeah. that plan. Okay. Uh, it might make our relationship a little bit more challenging. <laughs> that would be weird. In that yeah. case, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the other thing is that um, the Palestinians don't want them. I mean, oddly enough, the Palestinians would prefer Hamas at this point. They have like a 75% approval rating. Why? Because they committed these atrocities against you. So the one thing that America refuses to recognize is just how radicalized the Palestinian people have become. This notion that it's just Hamas. 40,000 terrorists, and then 2 million peace-loving people that once Hamas, once the yoke of Hamas is taken off, you have this great opportunity for peace. It's not true. Now, maybe it'll be true in a generation or two, but the end looks like um, a long period where Israel will be in control of the Gaza Strip. It's going to retain control of Judea and Samaria, likely with more 
episodes of violence there, and they're just going to have to hunker down and, and kind of, you know, uh, try to divide the Palestinians into two groups. Uh, this, this is what I would do if I were them. This is my vision of the future. You, you get a bunch of money from their friends, their new friends in the Gulf, and you say, guys, all you Palestinians, look, you want to kill us or you want to work with us? Okay, let's forget about all the statecraft for a minute. You want to mm -hmm. kill us? You want to work with us? You want to kill us? We're going to kill you first. Okay, we're not going to live with a bunch of guys that want to kill us. You want to work with us? Okay, we will help build better infrastructure, better, better, uh, better schools, better hospitals, better roads, and try to work with you to get you to a level where you can start to uh, achieve kind of comparable quality of life to the Israeli Arabs who live probably better than any other Arab people in the entire Middle East. So, the, but, but, but hear the choices and make them make the choices and then act in accordance with those choices. But is the irony, though, that that's exactly what they could have had for the last 17 years, of right? Course, of course. And that, that's sort of the of just, course, of course. what it's, do you do with that? Um, it, it's, it's the failure of the West. See, the West thinks that, um, that every human being is the same, you know, kind of stripped bare of, you know, geopolitical and socioeconomic conditions. They're all the same. Like, if you treat them well, every human being will ultimately veer towards the good. Okay? It's not the Middle East. I mean, there are people, look, Osama bin Laden come, came from one of the wealthiest families in Saudi Arabia. He had $100 million, right? Didn't stop him from being radicalized and being a terrorist. It, it doesn't flow that just because you're treated nicely, you're going to treat others nicely in return. And that's the Middle East. you got a lot of very, very challenging population centers there surrounding Israel. Is the other problem, you mentioned two problems, but that there's another third massive problem, which is that it wouldn't be a two-state solution, it would be a three-state solution. And no, for some reason, nobody talks about that, but the West Bank and Gaza are not connected, and then you'd have two entities. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not a it's not a two-state solution, no. nor it, has ever been. Now, look, there, there's, there's, there's not, you can't create any contiguity between Gaza and, and, and the West Bank. It's, you know, you, know, you, you could build a an underground train if you wanted to, but it, it just it would just be silly. First of all, you got bigger problems. I mean, the logistics are challenging, yeah. but the real problem is who's gonna run this? You know, there is nobody out there who has shown any capacity to lead their people. There's no Martin Luther King in the Palestinian world. It is not. There's no one who has that level of inspiration who wants to live in peace, who preaches peaceful coexistence. It's not part of the culture, you know? It's not politically correct to say these people don't want to live peacefully, but you know, for the Israelis who are living there, taking the risk, you know, that's the reality. You know, don't tell them these are peace-loving people when everything they study and learn and teach is, is designed to just foster hatred against the Jewish people. Is Israel going to allow the UN and all these ridiculous NGOs and everybody else back in there to do all of this? I mean, they were the ones that were teaching this stuff and hiding what's going on at the hospital yeah. and everything else. Um, I don't think so. Um, it, it, it really highlights the difference between the administration. I mean, look, we, we cut off all funding to the uh, PA. We cut off all funding to UNRWA. We said, look, you want to teach kids math and science? We'll give you money. You know, we want, we want everyone to be educated. You want to teach them how to put on a school play where half the kids dress up as Jews and half the kids dress up as terrorists and, the, and they take the guns and they shoot the, the, the Jews and the Jews lie down and play dead and the parents get up and applaud? We're not giving any money for that. You know, and, and that's what a typical, you know, third grade play looks like sponsored by the United Nations in the in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip. I want to jump back to the human element because we could because everyone's doing the politics yeah. part everywhere. But the human element, you mentioned talking to your granddaughter as this was happening. 
Um, so you're, you're a grandfather, you also live in Israel. I walked around Jerusalem with you. It was unbelievably peaceful. We had lunch on a beautiful day and all I kept thinking for those five days in Jerusalem specifically was how peaceful it was. Mm -hmm. And I even said to you as we were walking through the mall there, I said, where are all the soldiers? There used to be soldiers everywhere. Yeah. And he said, well, they've, they've figured out other ways to do things now. Th that sense when you're walking around Jerusalem now, um, just, just gone altogether. I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, what is it like for a country to now exist in two months of this? How do these people yeah. function? Are people going to work? Like, what's the... Look, Jerusalem, uh, I, mean, I, I was there two weeks ago. It, was, it wasn't back to normal because so many people, so many fathers are off at war. You know, this is a reserve army. Lots and lots and lots of guys, and, and women too, are off to the front. So you don't see the, the streets are more quiet. But, you know, there are people shopping, there are people walking around, and there, I was at the, uh, I was at that same mall walking around. It's just quieter because there aren't that many people around. Uh, that, that will come back. Um, Jerusalem is, um, you know, J Jerusalem was not bearing the brunt of this because, you know, it's interesting, the, you know, Hamas, they can't control their rockets, right? So you, you shoot an errant rocket towards Tel Aviv. If it's long, it hits Haifa. If it's short, it hits Ashkelon. Either way, you're killing Jews, right? right. So that's all good. You shoot a rocket at uh, Jerusalem, and it goes too far, you could hit the Al-Aqsa Mosque, mm -hmm. right? You know, so they don't want to do well, that. Well, they'd blame Israel for that. They would blame it, but, you know, there, are, there, are, there, is, yeah. you know, there is a way to prove that. So Jerusalem, you know, was actually, after the first two or three days, the sirens really were, were, were not as prevalent. But, look, it's, there's, a, there's just a, a, a fog that's sitting on top of, uh, of the Jewish people right now. They've, this is not like anything else um, before, not just because... Um, 240 hostages, which is about 238 more than ever before, right? So let's put that in perspective. Not just because um, the border was breached at, you know, the southern border was breached, which hadn't been breached in 50 years, mm -hmm. okay, but because you saw the hearts of the Palestinian terrorists, and there weren't any hearts. There was like a piece of coal there. I mean, the the violence, the, the rape, the, the, the slaughter of children in front of their parents and parents in front of their children, we looked at that and we said, it doesn't matter what we negotiate, it doesn't matter what we, what we, what, what the ultimate, you know, geo, geopolitical, you know, so these people are barbarians, you know, you know, we used to say they're animals, but they're not animals because we like animals, you know, animals don't, don't do this, don't hurt people for pleasure. Um, I think people on the left, you know, like, I, like I, 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 I'd lived this world for five years as ambassador. I spoke to lots and lots of people, and I had spent 30 years, you know, negotiating all kinds of things. So I'd, I can size up people pretty quickly. I had sized up a lot of these people, you know, early on that, you know, we're never going to make a deal with them. They're not worth spending time with. I went back and met with Trump several times in the Oval Office and gave him my view. But there was always a, a, a movement on the left, good people, you know, people of good faith, wishful thinking, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but who said, you know what, we can, you know, if we just kind of move closer to them, they'll move closer to us. And, you know, oddly enough, most of the people that were killed in the South were lefties. Were lefties, yeah. These, these were people that had dedicated their lives towards coexistence with the Palestinians. And I think those that survived. That's literally why they were living down there. Yeah, yeah. they cases, wanted to right? live on, along the border and they would, you know, they'd meet at the border and they would, you know, they, they cared so much about showing that, that, that they wanted to coexist and live, live peacefully. And, and they wanted to encourage the Palestinians to improve their lives and to, and to live, live better lives. And the, the people that survived and saw the film, 
I think they're, I mean, they're the most in shock because they're, they're, their entire premise about, about the relationship, about, the, about living in Israel, their entire premise was you know, proved to be faulty. And that's tough you know, when, when, when you're living your life on a, on a 40 year premise and it turns out to be just completely wrong. And that's, that's the toughest part here because the people that, you know, and, and that's why, that's the other reason why it will never be a two state solution anymore because it's no longer just about, you know, drawing borders and figuring out, you know, the details. It's about, can we ever again trust these people to be our neighbors without protecting ourselves, you know, um, in, in ways that they can never do this again. So at the end of the day, does this just boil down to the Jews? That, that it's just that these people simply do not want Jews there, no matter what concessions are made. I mean, this is what the Israeli right, I mean, yeah. Netanyahu has yeah. been saying this yeah. for a long time, that yeah. it doesn't matter what you give them, it doesn't matter what you offer, it doesn't matter what infrastructure you leave them with or, or whatever else. Yeah. They do not want Jews there. They, they simply will never stop. They won't. And look, they were doing this in 1929, the big massacre in Hebron. They were doing this long before 1967 when Jordan was in control of the West Bank. I mean, this is not about, you know, it's, it's, it's not about the land. It's about whether or not there can ever be a Jewish state smack between, you know, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Egypt. And, you know, I mean, look, look at Israel's neighbors. You know, you have a dictatorship in, in, uh, in Egypt and a failed economy, a dictatorship in Jordan and a failed economy, a, a, a terrorist state in Syria with no economy, and a, and a terrorist state in Lebanon with, with no economy. And Israel smack in the middle. Now, why do they want to inject in the middle of that another terrorist state? I mean, the last thing the world needs is another terrorist state mm -hmm. smack, smack dab in that, in that region. And um, I, th I think Israel's going to hit a point where they just have to say, look, you know, we tried. We're not going to do it. We're, we're, we're willing to live in peace as long as we have, we have to maintain security control over all of it. Like, like, like I used to always tell my friends who say, you know, we want to get out of Gaza. I said, again, as I said earlier, Gaza's not going to forget you, even if you mm -hmm. want to forget Gaza. Same thing with places like Janin and Ramallah and the West Bank. You want to get out of there? Fine. It's never leaving, going to leave you alone. Is there an irony there that Bibi didn't want to leave Gaza in the first place in 2005, so he was right about that, but yet this thing happened under his watch, so yeah. there's going to be a... a, a Look, reckoning the, of some sort at the end of this. Well, look, he, um, he, he, he left the government because he, he um, was against the Gaza evacuation. He was right there. Um, I think that, you know, in the aftermath of that, as I said earlier, this idea of placating Hamas just because, you know, it's not worth the distraction on your path to this economic and technological juggernaut you're creating, I understand it, okay? And, and maybe... Maybe I would have done the same thing, you know, in those circumstances. But in hindsight, uh, Hamas was allowed to get way too strong, given how, how strong their view was to destroy the state of Israel. So as somebody that now has spent the last, well, probably mo most of your life, but certainly the last couple of years, defending Israel on the national stage, explaining the history of the land and, and helping these deals be made and everything else, when you see the craziness on the streets of London and of Paris and in New York City mm -hmm. and all of these places, yep. and that so many people are so confused about the reality, yeah. um, what can be done about this? Because on a sheer numbers level, uh, it's not looking good. Now the, in a reality level, yeah. if we get people to reality, I think it would be just fine. No, the numbers are, are, are terrifying. Uh, you know, you see people yelling from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. You ask them, what river? And what's C? They have no idea. Yeah, they have no idea. So this is just 
kind of piling on to this anti-Semitic sentiment that has existed, you know, across Europe. Look, um, the first thing that, look, I, right now, I think the only country that can really be saved is America. I mean, I, I just want to save America. You know, we're going to, I think we've lost Europe. I, I don't know how to save it. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. When I left London just a couple of weeks ago, and I, I literally drove by one of the, the rallies, and mm -hmm. when I was getting on the plane leaving, I thought, is this the last time I'm coming back to this place? That, yeah. that's, a, that's a weird Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame, because London's a great city, and Paris is a great city, but not anymore. Not anymore. So we've got to save America. I mean, that's, that's really, I think, and that's really important to Israel also. At the end of the day, Israel, you know, if Israel only has an alliance with America and no one else, Israel will be fine. Israel without America scares me that, that that really scares me now it's all about it's it's all about some basic things and i, I don't want to make this political but shut the freaking border you know no. get rid of the people who don't deserve to be here you know i mean it's we have that that's what happened to london in, in paris right they let everybody in and they're they're paying the price we can't replicate you know london and paris and um so that's that's the first thing i think if we do that now, as far as, you know, universities are concerned, look, my alma mater that I'm totally uh, offended by at this point, Columbia University, uh, I started, you know, kind of talking to people there. What they tell me is that there are more Palestinian teaching assistants at Columbia University than any other nationality. And these are the ones that are teaching the kids. I mean, they're, they're teaching and all the basics. Just by numbers, that makes absolutely no sense. It makes no sense. I mean, certainly they're not that large a population. They have a lot of support within the Middle East Studies Department. You know, they, Columbia began with this fellow, Edward Said, who kind of was the f intellectual founder mm -hmm. of the Palestinian liberation movement, and he's got all his people in there. And, um, you know, I would bet that, you know, they all got student visas uh, and, and lied on, on the question whether they supported a terrorist organization. Mm -hmm. So if, if they've lied on their visa application, send them home. I mean, we have to get really tough on who's in our country. We have, I, I, I think there are a lot of dumb kids at college. I mean, but there have always been dumb kids at college. Right. I mean, you know, that's right. what college is known for. Um, the, the energy behind that, that those, those dumb kids ripping down posters of kidnapped children is coming from the faculty of these universities. And, you know, look, one thing that, you know, people don't realize this, you know, but, you know, uh, you know people call Donald Trump, you know, all the time anti-Semitic. I have no idea why, okay? Certainly Anything that they've attributed to him, they've misquoted. I don't think his grandchildren know why either. I don't think his grandchildren know why. I mean, and I know, you know, personally know that he's not. But, you know, in December of 2019, he signed an executive order that extended the reach of Title VI to, uh, to religious groups. The Title VI says you can't have any federal funding to an institution, and a, a university, that discriminates based upon race or gender. Didn't say religion. Mm -hmm. Okay, because after the uh, Pittsburgh shooting, he signs an executive order that says, I want to combat anti-Semitism. I want to extend this to anti-Semitic acts as well. Anybody who discriminates against Jews, no more federal funding. Okay? We got to enforce that, I think, aggressively. And if we do that, because again, what, what, you know, th there, there are some really good organizations right now that are fighting anti-Semitism. You know how? They go and they photograph every single, every single idiot on a college campus saying something really stupid. And then they figure out how to work the Google algorithm so that when you Google their name, it's the first thing you see. Yeah. Okay. That will quickly, I think, end you know the the uprisings from from the idiots, not from the ideological motivated mm -hmm. people, but the idiots. Just, they say right. we the can't get jobs. We can't we can't get jobs if we keep doing this. So they'll stop doing it. You know. And I think that's a step in the right direction. But we got to be tough on our on our borders, tough on our illegal immigrants, tough on the 
those that support Hamas and tough on the faculty at these universities. And I think if we do all those things, um, we'll, we'll be moving in the right direction. And I don't think the Democrats will do that. I think, I think we have a Republican administration will, will do that. What has happened to the Democrats? Well, they're, 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 they're falling apart right now because, you know, the, 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 the Democrats that my parents used to support, you know, you know I, I call them sort of like the, the Steny Hoyer mm -hmm. Democrats, right? You know, guy, you know, centrist, you know, pro-Israel, been around for 40, 50 years, you know, goes to every APAC, you know, meeting. That, that's not where the energy is in the party anymore. And um, I think a lot of Jewish people who traditionally voted Democrat, a lot of, a lot of people who kind of were center or center left who supported the Democratic Party, um, Jewish, a lot of Jews, I think they're looking at what's happening now and saying, you know, what happened to our party. It's, not, it's never been my party, but it's, I think the, um, I think the Democrats are going, you know, and it, you, know, you know where you saw it first? You remember, um, I think it was two Democratic conventions ago, Right where oh when they wanted to take God out of is that no when they wanted to when they wanted to make part the platform that Jerusalem was the capital of Israel mm -hmm. and oh right and they got shattered out and then this guy says look you know I'm just going to take it to a voice vote you know let's just amend our platform to include that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel the voice vote was negative you can hear in the crowd mm -hmm. they were saying no and he said okay the eyes have it and he, <laughs> and he put it in <laughs> right. right but right. right there I could tell you know you could tell that the party is no longer with Israel. Yeah. So have you gotten any uh, apologies from the lefty Jews that might have been annoyed with you for working with uh, Donald Trump, who suddenly are like, all right, all right, wasn't so bad. I, 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 some, I do sense some lefty Jews are waking up right now. There, there are a certain set of lefties in general, but obviously with Jews, it's a little more specific. Maybe. Yeah, I think, look, I think no, no, one, no, one's, no one's come to me and, and apologized, but I do think that they are in pain right now. They're, they're looking at, you know, all, look, a lot of these lefty Jews went to the Columbia's and the Harvard's and the Princeton's and the MIT's and they're seeing what's happening on campus and they're seeing that the left is becoming decidedly not just anti-Israel but anti-Semitic and I think they're I think it's I, th I, I can only imagine how they feel they feel betrayed they feel like you know they're again when you when you believe in something your whole life and it turns out to be false it's probably not a pleasant not a probably pleasant experience yep. you know and I think that's where they are right now. Is there anything else Israel can do on the messaging side? You know, because obviously the lies travel fast. They are amplified by algorithms now. They're amplified by the BBC and the CBC and virtually everywhere. And then Israel sends out people to correct the lies, but it's, it's yeah. a hell of a lot of work. Look, I think we're... And also some people just simply don't care. It's just Jews yeah. are the oppressor, that's it. Look, I think that... Um, uh, and I'm sure lots of people won't agree with this, but I think that what Israel has failed to really um, um, communicate is the message that they're not just um, you know, a state surrounded by hostile Arabs, that they're not just a democratic state, that they're not just a place where you know, people can live who are, who are gay or trans or, or you know, Arab or Christian, that, you know, that they're an inclusive. I mean, that's, that's all true. And it is unique about a state in the Middle East. But they've lost, I think they buried the lead, right? And, and again, the lead may not appeal to everybody, but the lead is that it's also the land of the Bible. You know, and, and the Bible still sells more books than, you know, I, last time I checked, it sells like 2,400 books an hour, hmm. okay? The Bible matters. I mean, you know, the values that we hold dear in America came from the Bible. I mean, you know, the Declaration of Independence says that, you know, human rights were endowed by our creator, right? Mm -hmm. That was earth-shaking because it meant that 
they're not negotiable. They're not, they're immutable, right? They come from God. If they come from God, you can't, you can't change them. The sovereign can't change them. And um, in all those rights, you know, uh, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, they're sourced right in the Bible. I mean, you know, you can look in the Bible and see exactly where our founders got those rights versus any other, you know, human rights. And um, if we want to preserve our, our biblical heritage, or at least the biblical values, whether we're observant or not, it's not about being religious or not, but about observing, you know, these, these, these ancient but still relevant Judeo-Christian values. If we want to preserve them, okay, you got to get there every now and then. You got to get there and you got to recharge your batteries and you got to see where the covenants were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You got to see the path where Jesus walked. You got to see where the messages were delivered. It really is, um, you know, a, a, a life-altering experience for people to do it at least once. And you can only do it if the Jewish people retain control of the Jewish state. Okay, otherwise it will go the way of all the other Judeo-Christian monuments that have been destroyed, you know, by ISIS and others. So. Um, that doesn't come across because, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how many, um, how much of the Israeli population really wants to emphasize that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, Israel is, you know, we're all Jews, but it's, it's, it's largely a secular society. But we can't lose sight of that. I'm telling you, it, it really is important. It resonates deeply within America, you know, and, um, and, I, and again, you could think the Bible comes from God. You could think it was just written by some really, really smart guy, you know, 3,000 years ago you know, who, who just had some really great ideas. And, but, but the book's the book, you know, and we're the people of the book, and that book is the reason why the Jewish people are still around today, 3,500 years later, when every other ancient civilization is gone. It's the book. It's the book that kept us, kept us together again. Whether you believe in God or not, the book kept us together. We should be focusing more on the book. I don't think there's a better way to end this than saying next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. This No, this year in Jerusalem. This year in this Jerusalem. Year in well, Jerusalem. you'll be there in a couple weeks, but I'll make it for 24. Yes. How about yeah, that? Looking forward, Dave. All right. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.